Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Greetings, Harvest family. Uh, it's a joy to be able to, to share with you this morning. And um, I know this is still not the most ideal circumstances of still going online, but hopefully soon that will change. We are aiming for next week to be live, and so that's really exciting. Uh, my passage this morning is from Romans chapter 1, verses 7 to 17. So I'll read the passage. Romans 1 verses 7 to 17. I'll read it first, and then we'll jump into the passage. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the word of the Lord. I wanted to start with this passage um, because... Uh, for two reasons, really. Um, partly just because it is the Apostle Paul longing to be face-to-face with the brothers and sisters in Rome. And in the same way, I long to be with you, uh, being able to get to know you. Um, it's, at this point, it's harder to get to know each other in, in the church. Um, the other thing is that this passage introduces Paul's firm foundation for his faith, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I felt like that's the best starting point for us. Uh, This is not my starting point. I feel like this is the foundation of the Christian faith that has been uh, been so for the last 2,000 years. Paul is writing to the capital city of the empire. Um, He's writing to urbanites, sophisticated, Um, dealing with 
you know, regularly with high business, high powered conversations. Similarly, I'm speaking to those in the capital city of Kuala Lumpur. I want to be clear though. Um, it may sound like I'm comparing myself to the Apostle Paul, and I am in no way trying to compare myself to the Apostle Paul. We share in common that we are both sinners saved by grace, and we are both longing to be with brothers and sisters in the faith, and that's probably where the comparisons cease. Paul wrote a letter to the, this church in this great, powerful city that he had not yet been to. He had not met most of the people to whom he was writing. It was important for Paul to establish this foundation based on Jesus Christ, based on the gospel. He knew that it was really important for Christians to get that right. If they miss that part, the rest, the rest of the faith is, is, is wasted. It's, it's missing the mark. Paul had already, in his ministry, he had seen the dangers of Christians distorting the gospel, distorting it just out of, out of its shape, just enough so that it would no longer be the good news that it was supposed to be. So, for example, he saw people in Galatia, uh, where we get the letter to the Galatians. He saw them questioning the salvation of those who were considered unclean, even after they believed in Christ. It means that they were re requiring elements of the law as part of their salvation. They wanted to add extra commands to being a Christian. This, Paul argues, is an attack on the gospel. He says this in Galatians 3.10, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. But Paul also saw the other extreme. The people in the city of Corinth were boasting in their tolerance of sin. Paul saw this as a mockery of what Christ did on the cross. Whether it was by trying to add requirements for salvation, or whether it was continuing to live in sin, both of these were distorting the gospel. They discredited the value of the cross. And so in this really beginning introduction to, the, to Paul's letter to the Romans, um, we see how, God was, uh, how Paul was thinking about who God is and the gospel that uh, God initiated. And so we'll walk through this passage in the following points. We are loved by God. We are strengthened by God. And we are saved by God. The first point is we are loved by God. How is it that Paul can confidently tell these believers who he has never met that they are loved by God? It was common for letters during this time period to offer some kind of thanks to the gods. It was normally a very formal, trite statement, very impersonal. The, the goal was maybe more to placate the gods than necessarily a confident statement about the nature of God. Paul did not need to do that. 
he could speak confidently about the love of God. He's confident about the love of God because he experienced the love of God. He knew of it firsthand. Even when he was an enemy of the church, persecuting Christians, God reached out to him, changing his heart of hate to one of love. Quite remarkably, Paul, who was ravaging the church, it's later writes First uh, Corinthians chapter thirteen, which we you know are some of the most beautiful words written about love. Paul completely understood that the change that occurred in his life was not from within, but it was God intervening because it is who God is. The simple fact is God loves us. Zephaniah 3:17 describes God in just the most describes God's love in just the most extraordinary manner. It says this, "The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing." This is just an amazing picture of who God is, that it is part of God's character to rejoice over us, to love us, to be so joyful that he sings. He doesn't just sing, he sings loudly over us. We are a people in need of God's love. Our natural inclination is toward selfishness. Even when we call it love, it's more often about us. Think about the way love is portrayed in movies and television. We love because someone makes us feel good. Love becomes about us, how it makes us feel. That's not real love. In fact, that's not love, actually. Love, real love, is different. It is true concern about the welfare of another. God initiates love because he is love. 1 John chapter 4 verses 8 and 10, 8 to 10 tells us about this God of love. I'll read this passage. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, and he sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. what we discover here is that Jesus is the most perfect picture of love. And we know love because of this work of Jesus, because God, the God of love, sent his Son for our sakes. The second point is we are strengthened by God. I've lived in Southeast Asia most of my life. One tradition that I really appreciate is that when someone goes on a trip somewhere, 
It's the tradition to bring back gifts to friends and to family. Different countries have different names for it. In the Philippines, it's called Pasalubong. In Indonesia, Ole Ole. What I love about this tradition is someone goes on this trip to this, this foreign land and they're taking in all of these experiences. But while they're doing so, their mind goes to their friends and family. And they're thinking, what, what can I bring back to them? There's something really beautiful about this thinking about others, even when you're having this, this experience. In this, we kind of see that gifts can be a symbol of love. Paul tells the Christians of Rome that he is bringing gifts, but his gifts are not mere souvenirs or some kind of snack. This gift that Paul is talking about is spiritual in nature. What Paul understands is that he really has nothing to give himself. In fact, I, let me pause for just a second to say that uh, there could be some confusion in this passage. So it uses this phrase, spiritual gift. And sometimes we think about Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 12, where the Holy Spirit gives each believer different spiritual gifts. I don't believe that's what Paul is referring to here. Paul is in no position to be giving us spiritual gifts. That's the role of the Holy Spirit and not of not Paul. What Paul is talking about is offering some spiritual encouragement to, to remind each other of the, the love of God, of the grace that we find because of Christ's death and resurrection. He knows that he can pass on something of great value. Uh, he desires to strengthen believers. In the next verse, in verse 12, he actually speaks of mutual encouragement in the gospel. Now remember, Paul is writing to, to believers. Uh, this is important to, to note, because sometimes we think of the gospel as only for someone who's not yet a Christian. But for Paul, the gospel is not merely the front door of Christianity. It's the whole house. We are in need of God's enabling. To walk with Christ requires daily rhythms and practices. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus says this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. In, in other words, we have this understanding of this daily rhythm. The Christian life is not merely making sure um, that we get our second retirement in the afterlife taken care of. It's not merely about securing entrance to the afterlife. Jesus calls us to an intentional practice of daily laying aside our selfish desires, that is, taking up the cross and following Christ. The thing we can sometimes miss in the daily Christian walk is that it is not intended to be a solo activity. It is not intended to be done individually. One way we live out our Christian life is by doing so together. 
Paul wanted to offer spiritual encouragement to the Christians in Rome. And he knew that these brothers and sisters in Christ would also be able to offer spiritual encouragement to Paul. The Christian life involves our regular interaction with one another. In fact, the New Testament uses this phrase, one another, 52 times at least. And it instructs us how we are to relate to one another. Here are three quick examples. John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And this command is, uh, occurs 16 times in the New Testament, which indicates to me that we must really need to hear that, that we are to love one another. A second example, First uh, Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Again, this emphasis on thinking about others and what is best for others, to build each other up, to encourage one another. And the third example comes from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 to 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Just from these three examples, we get a sense for how this Christian life really should be a joint effort, a communal effort. Paul was putting this into practice. First of all, he was writing a letter to encourage the believers in Rome. Not only that, but in the letter, he says he intends to do the same when he finally sees them in person. How are we doing with these things? Is following Christ something you do daily? Do your daily rhythms involve you taking up your cross and following Christ? You might be wondering, how, how do I do that? First, it requires that you honestly evaluate your heart. Are you devoted to Christ in all things? Matthew 6, 21 says, for, this is Jesus speaking, For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Do you treasure Christ? One daily rhythm is to develop a treasuring of Christ through the reading of God's word. You can grow your heart's affections for Christ by reading the Bible daily. And this is where God re re reveals himself to us. Another way is through daily prayer. Talking to God openly and honestly. Asking God to give direction and sustenance. I know both of those things really require more explanation. And we'll have to leave it at that for this morning. But those are certainly things that we want to revisit. Another question for evaluation is, how are we doing in encouraging others in their faith in Christ? I know it's been hard during the, these days of the pandemic. 
the Harvest family has not been able to meet together for quite a long time. But that should not prevent you from finding other ways to encourage one another. You might have, possibly, a couple of objections. Maybe you're saying to yourself, but I don't know what to say to someone else. Now, it doesn't need to be eloquent or wordy. Let it come from your daily walk with Christ. So it could be as simple as praying for other church members and sending them a note that you're praying for them. Or maybe sending them a note asking how you can pray for them. It could be as simple as sending a Bible verse that encouraged you this week. Or it could be a quick check-in. How are you doing? All of those things don't require a lot of uh, elaborate wording or anything like that. They're very simple ways to show that you care for one another and you care for them spiritually. Another objection might be, I don't really know anyone at Harvest or I don't know anyone very well. I'll remind you, that Paul wrote this long letter to a group of people that he mostly didn't know at all. Put yourself out there. Be willing to take a risk in this. Find ways to encourage one another. One really great way to get to know others at Harvest is through small groups. Small groups are designed to be a way for anyone attending Harvest to get to know others in the church. Find a way to encourage others spiritually this week. The third point for today is we are saved by God. Paul tells us he has a mission. His calling is to share the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles. He knows that even the citizens of Rome, the most powerful city in the world at the time, that they are in desperate need of Christ. Though they may be rich, they are spiritually poor. Though they may have the most impressive military force in the world at that time, they are spiritually dead already. Paul declares in what has become some of the most well-known verses in the Bible. He says this, this is verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. These verses pack so much in that there's no way we can cover it thoroughly this morning. The great Welsh preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, preached five sermons in a row just on these two verses. In the same, similarly, John Piper did the same thing, five sermons on these two verses. There are many who say that these verses might be among some of the most important in the Bible. Paul is writing to mighty Rome. Probably the natural reaction from most Romans would be that these religious things are small compared to the important things of the empire. Paul says he's not ashamed of the gospel. I believe he says this 
because he has experienced ridicule for preaching this very message. In fact, he was one of the ones doing the ridiculing. But that was upended when the truth of Christ's life, death, and resurrection pierced his heart. The Harvest family has gone through a series on evangelism during the past six weeks. We've done so because we embrace the words in this passage, that it is the gospel that is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. We are all in need of God's salvation, all of us. Later in Romans, Paul says that none of us are righteous, not a single one of us. He says in another place that we all fall short of the glory of God. Our sinful nature leaves us in a state of spiritual death. We have no ability to revive ourselves. It is Christ who gives us life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life says Romans 6.23. The gospel displays God's power because it is God who saves us when we can't save ourselves. Jesus lived the life we could not, perfect and holy. He willingly died the death we should have died so that we would not have to. In other words, he took the death that was on us And he took this to the grave, to his grave. He overcame this death through resurrection. Paul says that the gospel is a display of God's righteousness. When we take up the cross, a symbol of death, and follow him, we gain new life because we now carry God's righteousness. We left our unrighteousness on the cross. The final line is, the righteous shall live by faith. To place our faith in something or someone is to give away our trust. In most aspects of life, we are disappointed when we do that. But God has put his righteousness on the line. We place our faith in God and he will deliver us. Where is your faith? Is it in the stock market? Is it in your career? Is it in entertainment, pleasure? Is it in your spouse or your kids? These are hard questions. And this passage calls for us to honestly look at our own hearts and evaluate where we have placed our faith. There is only one who can truly save us. Everything else will fail you. The extraordinary thing about this passage is there's a declaration that it is the righteousness of God is revealed. In other words, we no longer walk around with our unrighteousness that when we place our faith, place our trust in Christ, we are able to walk around with the righteousness of God on us. 
And this is the extraordinary work of God himself, not our own doing. For us, it is to place our faith in Christ. In quick summary, here are a few things to consider. First of all, just a reminder that you are loved by God. As you are, you are loved by God. And as those loved by God, we are called to walk with Christ daily. And part of walking with Christ daily is learning how to encourage one another in Christ. I'm just briefly, I don't know if you're on Twitter or not, but a quick glance at Twitter will reveal that the world is not the best at giving each other encouragement. Uh, We're much better at tearing each other down. If you have siblings, you may have experienced this even in your family life. So let's develop these patterns of encouraging one another in Christ. Most importantly, where have we placed our faith? Where have we put trust in for our lives? Have we placed our faith in ourselves? Even sometimes we, we, we claim to be Christian, we do go through all the Christian motions, yet we inadvertently place our faith in ourselves? Or have we placed our faith in Christ? And then lastly, if you have experienced Christ and experienced this miraculous heart change that Paul experienced a number of years earlier, then share it with others. When you experience a good thing, it is a natural thing to share it with others. Don't be ashamed to proclaim the gospel. And look for, ways, for the ways that God's power will work in others. Let me close us in a time of prayer. Father, we thank you for your servant, Paul, and for the display of your righteousness at work in his life, that you moved him from the place of being an enemy of the church to being, to being one who loved the church deeply, who would sacrifice everything for the sake of the church. Father, we thank you for his example in wanting to encourage brothers and sisters in Rome. Father, may we also do this. Show us how we can encourage one another. Bring to mind during this week Um, fellow brothers and sisters who we can encourage. Bring to mind ways to encourage them. Show us how to love each other well, as you have called us to do. Father, as we examine our hearts, we ask that your Spirit reveal to us the ways in which we have pulled our trust away from you and placed it either in ourselves or on something else. Father, we, we ask that you would use this so that we might again experience what it is to be walking in Christ. Father, that you would
give us boldness in sharing this good news, this message, fully understanding that it is you at work. It is your power. All we need to do is proclaim you and then watch you work in others. Father, as we go this week in all that we do at home and work in studies, Father, I pray for the Harvest family that we might glorify you, that we would walk with you daily in all of these things. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.